Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to unravel around the world, Samaritan's Purse has launched a major medical response to help overwhelmed hospitals. Just over three weeks ago, Samaritan's Purse opened up a 68-bed emergency field hospital in Cremona, Italy, and just last week opened up a second 68-bed emergency field hospital in New York Central Park. Today's guest is Ian Stokes. He is the Director of International Disaster Response for Samaritan's Purse. He'll share with us what the situation is like both in New York and in Italy and why it's so important for a ministry like Samaritan's Purse to help out in a time like this. That's today on Connections. Today's guest is Ian Stokes. He's the Director of International Disaster Response for Samaritan's Purse. For many of our listeners and for many people out there, when we hear Samaritan's Purse, we uh, think of Operation Christmas Child. But Samaritan's Purse is so much more than that. For those who don't know, can you just tell us a little bit about Samaritan's Purse? Yes, absolutely. So uh, a big part of our work internationally is emergency and disaster relief. Um, uh, That uh, that work takes us to disasters, um, both natural and made, uh, man-made, sorry, around the world and domestically as well. So that's a a significant part of our work. Uh, We have country offices where we implement various um, projects in about 20 countries, um, uh, everything from helping to bring clean, safe drinking water, feeding programs, education programs, medical programming. Um, we also work with a network of partners around the world as well. Uh, so a lot of um, a lot of programming that uh, falls under the Ministry of Samaritan's Purse. Ian, can you tell us about the response that Samaritan's Purse has had so far with that? Yeah, so we've deployed in both of those situations what we call an emergency field hospital. Uh, Essentially, it's a respiratory care unit. Um, Both of these have a 68-bed capacity, eight ICU beds, and 60 inpatient ward beds. Um, Essentially, what these are are about 12 to 14 inflatable tent structures uh, that we can deploy uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and then all of the medical equipment, the beds, the monitors, uh, the specialized respiratory care equipment, including ventilators, um, that go along with those hospitals. So it allows us to be able to set up fairly quickly. They're designed to be self-sufficient. And uh, as you said, the one in Cremona, Italy now we're, uh, is going into about week three. And the one that was set up earlier this week in New York in Central Park is in about uh, day three of receiving patients. And where do you get the doctors and the nurses and the medical personnel to run these? We have a uh, roster of about a 1,000 people. We call it our Disaster Assistance Response Teams, or DART. Uh, This is a multinational team made up of Americans, Canadians, uh, Brits, Aussies, Germans, uh, from our country offices around the world as well. Um, and these are people that they volunteer their time, uh, we train them, and then when we deploy them, they become essentially our short-term contract employees. Uh, here in Canada, we are close to about 300 people on that overall roster, and that is uh, made up of both medical uh, and non-medical specialties. So obviously right now, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly the response is medical. A lot of nurses, ER doctors, uh, pharmacists, a wide array of people that uh, are deploying into both of those uh, settings. So with the field hospital now in Italy, as you said, it's going on about three weeks. What does it look like there? How are things being handled? 
Yeah, so just on a bridge call uh, this morning with our team there, um, and at any one time, they probably got about 50 to 60 patients that are in the hospital. Um, already there's been some marvelous stories of uh, people that have recovered, and we've seen people coming off ventilators uh, into step down and then eventually being discharged. Um, our emergency field hospital was set up in the parking lot of the Cremona Hospital, which was the main hospital um, in the city of Cremona, very much um, a ground zero for the COVID outbreak in northern Italy. In that hospital, they had had a 100% mortality rate in their ICU. So who, whoever was admitted to ICU, they did not survive. Um, and so incredibly tragic stories. They were over capacity by 400%. Um, and we're all hearing stories about the, um, the healthcare workers around the world uh, generally in Italy, they say, or in that region, in the Lombardy region, they say there's one medical or one doctor for, uh, sorry, one medical care provider for eight patients. Um, the ratio that, that we're operating on in our emergency field hospital is one to two, so one health care provider for every two patients. Um, and so uh, we're working very closely. We're essentially an extension of the Cremona Hospital um, uh, yet in the midst of that, of course, um, for there's many stories of people that are recovering. And as you can imagine, of course, there are people as well that are not surviving this. So it continues to be a dire situation. Um, uh, but um, Samaritan's, Samaritan's Purse continues to um, uh, provide the care that's so badly needed there. The people that are, are in the field hospital, the actual patients, how is that decided who gets um, put into those hospitals? Yeah, so the, the Cremona Hospital does the triage um, as people either come in um, with new cases of COVID-19 um, or existing patients. So when we opened about three weeks ago, uh, they began to uh, shift over patients, some right into the ICU, some into the ward. So it's the Cremona Hospital uh, that decides who is going specifically into the SB hospital. And what's the response been like from Cremona Hospital? Were they thankful when, when Samaritan's Purse arrived? Yeah, they've been absolutely fantastic to work with, um, according to our team on the ground, uh, not just the hospital, local officials, when we set up. Um, the Italian military um, were right there helping us to unload our DC-8 um, cargo plane. Uh, so everyone has been uh, absolutely fantastic. There's been uh, great shows of appreciation as well uh, to our healthcare workers there. So um, I would say that uh, there's a, a excellent working relationship with both the Cremona hospitals and all the various um, levels of government in that area as well. And now moving to New York, Samaritan's Purse opened up a 68-bed emergency field hospital. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, quite unusual. I, I don't think uh, Samaritan's Purse ever envisioned that they would be um, setting up in Central Park. Uh, and so that EFH, if your listeners are familiar with Central Park, is um been set up in the East Meadow uh, of Central Park, which kind of runs along Fifth Avenue. It's right across from Mount Sinai Hospital. So the partner in New York is Mount Sinai, where, where it's the Cremona Hospital in Italy. It's Mount Sinai in New York. So again, a very similar system. 
Mount Sinai is the one that um, they're deciding uh, who goes into the uh, emergency field hospital in Central Park. They're looking after all of the triage for that. So that generally is our model that we work closely with them. Currently, uh, according um, to uh, the bridge call this morning, we're just over 20 patients um, that are uh, in the um, in the hospital in Central Park. Uh, three patients currently in ICU. I think more have come in here throughout the morning. Uh, so they are now up and uh, operational, and um, they continue to be a part of um, uh, that system, which is um, trying to help that um, that uh, New York metropolitan area, which is so overwhelmed. And is it common to have a response like this in a first world country? This just seems like something you would hear about in a third world country. But right now we're dealing with something in a very rich country. Yes, indeed. Um, when the emergency field hospital concept was firstly envisioned, uh, obviously we work Samaritan's persons that are comfortable and works primarily in the developing world. Um, the first time the EFH was deployed was to Ecuador after an earthquake there in 2015, um, and then outside Mosul during the liberation of that city from ISIS in 2016 and 2017, uh, in Mozambique last year. So, um, again, those are in situations, developing world, prone to natural disasters, prone to conflict. Um, and so um, I think it was we were always prepared that possibly there would be some sort of a response um, in the developing world. Uh, essentially, Italy was the first one, of course, uh, where that happened, and now in the United States. And so uh, I, I, I think the key that really makes us work again, Colleen, is the fact that um, uh, we work very closely with existing hospitals. Uh, they, they are the ones that continue to do the triage, and um, we're partnered with those hospitals that are doing a great job. Moving forward, are there any other plans for any more field hospitals, or is that just kind of you're going to go with the flow and see how things are coming along with the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah, currently no plans to deploy an actual field hospital. Um, Like many other uh, hospitals and health authorities around the world, um, our shelves are pretty much empty now of of equipment and supplies and and the actual tents themselves. Um, and we all know the incredible demand that's currently being put on suppliers to manufacture new ventilators and PPE and masks and so on. Um, so currently no plans. Um, I would say the one area that perhaps SP can continue to assist with uh, is with staffing. Uh, and we do that as well. Very cognizant, certainly here in Canada, we have Canadians serving in Italy. Um, and uh, it's yet it's a pandemic here across Canada, uh, and of course um, in different provinces. And so we're very cognizant of that as well. And everyone has responded from Canada. We've asked them that um, they need full permission from their employers to go. Uh, for those that haven't been able to go, they're a critical part of the response here in Canada, and, and we consider them very much a part of the overall response as well. Um, yet also our Canadians in places like Cremona are gaining invaluable experience of how to fight and treat COVID, um, how to set up ICUs and how to set up uh, wards. Uh, so um, we believe as well that as they start to come back in the weeks ahead, do their quarantine and back into their places of work, that they're going to bring some invaluable experience as well. Um, as the uh, response here in Canada continues. Something that uh, most people probably thought they'd never experience in their life. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's... um uh, 
we, yeah, we find ourselves, it's surreal, um, whether you, you know, you do have the opportunity to be outside briefly on the roads and how quiet it is. It, it, these are truly, truly unusual times and, um, uh, finding ourselves in the midst of it is, is quite something. Why is it so important as a ministry to do this and to get so involved uh, in the community and in the world? Yeah, well, I mean, our name is taken from um, the story that Jesus told of, of the Good Samaritan, and so uh, it's both in our mandate but in our heart as well uh, that we are compelled to go and help those that are in need. We cannot stand by. Um, and at this time, more than ever, is an opportunity for people to go into these situations. You know, it's, it's interesting where uh, the majority of the world is being asked, uh, the best thing they can do is to do nothing, is to stay home, uh, to social distance, to not go to work. Um, and yet there's many people uh, that continue to literally run into the midst of this. And uh, many of them are motivated for different reasons. And here at Samaritan's Purse, we're motivated by the love of Jesus. We're compelled um, to demonstrate the compassion that Christ demonstrated for us. And so that's overwhelmingly the motivating factor for why our people go in the work that we do. How can our listeners help Samaritan's Purse get through this and continue to have the, these field hospitals up and running? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I would ask if, if, if people are people of prayer to please pray. Um, pray first and foremost. Um, that um, COVID-19 um, would be wiped out and that um, uh, this this disease would be lifted from so many areas that are being impacted. Our prayer during our Ebola response in Africa is that Ebola would be wiped out from Africa. So we certainly ask for people to be praying. Please be praying for the healthcare workers uh, and, of course, those that are suffering and are sick with this virus. Um, again, we're, uh, as, a, as a charitable organization, we're only able to do as much as, as, um, as our donors uh, partner with us. And so we would certainly encourage your listeners to visit uh, our website, SamaritansPurse.ca, um, and they can donate uh, to our emergency medical projects, which goes directly to the, all the various kinds of projects that we're doing in response to COVID-19. And then finally, uh, if you do have listeners that are healthcare workers or they know somebody, doctors, uh, nurses, uh, ER doctors, um, please let them know. There's lots of information on our website, um, and um, they can look at uh, that opportunity there. Again, SamaritansPurse.ca. Any parting words that you have for our listeners as we move on in this pandemic? Yeah, yeah, indeed. I, I think what I would say, Colleen, of course, what everybody is saying, you know, we, we do need to listen to our health officials and, and all of the things that we're being implored to do with washing our hands, uh, with the distancing, distancing measures, um, with all of these things are, are so important. And I would also say as well that in the midst of, everything we're hearing and overwhelmingly it seems it's it's not good news it's bad news but in the midst of that i would encourage us and especially people of faith to be looking for the light in the midst of the darkness to be looking for the beauty in the midst of um, the ugliness that we see around us Um, and uh, looking there's incredible stories uh, incredible stories of resilience um, of healing of hope and uh, of people helping one another. Uh, so in the midst, uh, again, of the, the news of markets crashing and, and uh, mortality rates, 
I, I hope as well that we see the light and the hope that also um, still exists there. It's just a reminder that we should be thankful for those who are working on the front line and just to pray for those who need it right now. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ian. Remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation, you can always do that by visiting your radio station's website. We'll talk to you again on Connections.